Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, Volume 1, Chapter 18. Previously, on Pride and Prejudice, we have met the Bennet family, the Lucas family, the Bingley family, and Mr. Darcy, Mr. Bingley's good friend. We have also met the heir to the Bennet estate of Longbourn, Mr. Collins, and the very charming and handsome Mr. Wickham, who has a beef with Mr. Darcy. It's all very complicated. So, Jane and Mr. Bingley are in love. Things seem to be going well. However, Mr. Darcy and Mr. Bingley's sisters think that Jane is not good enough for Mr. Bingley. Mr. Collins is inheriting the Longbourn estate that is currently held by Mr. Bennet, um, as he's the next male heir, so he has come to Longbourn to find himself a wife from one of the Bennet sisters, and he has chosen Lizzie. Lizzie is not happy about this. Mr. Wickham has come to town, and Lizzie really likes him, and it's clear that Wickham and Darcy do not get along, and since Lizzie really hates Darcy, she's very much on Wickham's side, She's heard Wickham's sob story and thinks that Darcy is the devil incarnate. Um, I think that mostly catches us up of what we know about what's going on all of the time. And we have now come to the place where Mr. Bingley is going to throw a ball at Netherfield. And that is what we get to learn about in chapter 18. We are going to go to the ball. And... Just a little bit of warning here for everybody. I love this chapter. I think there's some great stuff in it. It's a bit of a long chapter, and I'm going to be hard-pressed not to just completely read the whole thing to you because there's so much great stuff in it. But here we go. We're going to be talking about chapter 18. So here we are in chapter 18, and it starts with, Till Elizabeth entered the drawing room at Netherfield, and looked in vain for Mr. Wickham among the cluster of red coats there assembled, a doubt of his being present had never occurred to her. The certainty of meeting him had not been checked by any of those recollections that might not unreasonably have alarmed her. She had dressed with more than usual care, and prepared in the highest spirits for the conquest of all that remained unsubdued of his heart trusting that it was not more than might be won in the course of the evening. But in an instant arose the dreadful suspicion of his being purposely admitted for Mr. Darcy's pleasure and the Bingley's invitation to the officers. And though this was not exactly the case, the absolute fact of his absence was pronounced by his friend Mr. Denny, to whom Lydia eagerly applied, and who told them that Wickham had been obliged to go to town on business the day before, and was not yet returned, adding, with a significant smile, I do not imagine his business would have called him away just now, if he had not wished to avoid a certain gentleman there. This part of his intelligence, though unheard by Lydia, was caught by Elizabeth, and as it assured her that Darcy was not less answerable for Wickham's absence than if her first surmise had been just, every feeling of displeasure against the former was so sharpened by immediate disappointment that she could hardly reply with tolerable civility to the polite inquiries which he directed afterwards, which he directly afterwards approached to make. Attention, forbearance, patience with Darcy, was an injury to Wickham. She was resolved against any sort of conversation with him, and turned away with a degree of ill-humour 
which she could not wholly surmount, even in speaking to Mr. Bingley, whose blind partiality provoked her. All right, so that was the whole first page in my edition of this chapter. And so I want to go back about this information. So Lizzie walks in, and the first thing she's doing is looking for Wickham. And we see another sort of something she should have thought of. It would make sense for her to have thought of, but she did not. So it shows a little bit of her, I guess, not being as perceptive as, again, she thinks she is, where she says that there was no doubt that she had had no doubt that Wickham would be at the party or at the ball, and he is not. Um, and it says that she has dressed in with more than usual care to come and see Wickham. That was her big plan for the party. And she thinks that she can make him fall in love with her, which also I think is the closest we're getting to, like, she actually seems to have quite a crush on him, quite like some intentions of him like wanting wanting him to fall in love with her which you know I think shows a stronger intent maybe than she has been showing any showing anybody or that we've really seen from her up until this point um another thing that I think is interesting is that she obviously blames Darcy for him not being there um that because and at first she thinks that maybe it was because he wasn't invited at all but that turns out not to be true he was invited however he decided that he needed to go to london on business instead of coming and denny his friend says that it wouldn't have called him away just now if he had not wished to avoid a certain gentleman so that's how she knows that he has gone to london because he wants to avoid darcy so one thing that I want to point out here is that Wickham was very clear when he talked to her a couple chapters ago, um, when he told his whole sob story, that Darcy was the one who would need to leave, that he would not avoid him, um, that Wickham would not avoid Darcy, that Darcy would be the one who had to leave if he didn't want to be around Wickham. But here we have Wickham being the one avoiding Darcy, not the other way around. Darcy showed up to the ball knowing Wickham had been invited and could be coming. It's Wickham who is the one avoiding Darcy. Which I think is significant when we know, you know, with our foreign knowledge, that Wickham is the bad one, is the problem here, not Darcy. It shows a little bit of Wickham's, you know, slipperiness and the way that he doesn't tell the truth all the time and doesn't, I guess, follow through. Like, that what he's saying isn't truthful because we're catching him kind of in a lie here where he was saying that he was not going to do anything to avoid Darcy, that he didn't hadn't done anything wrong and therefore didn't need to hide and blah, blah, blah. When it turns out, well, no, um, he is trying to hide from Darcy and he's the one who's avoiding the ball, which, again, I think is telling. And the other thing that's interesting there is it's Lydia who eagerly is asking of this information. Lizzie's not the one asking. Lydia is, which... I think is important. I don't think it's in any of the, um, I'm not sure. It's, I don't think it's in the 95 or the 2005, but maybe it's in some of the other adaptations. I'd have to, I don't know them all as well, but I don't think it's in most of them that Lydia is the one who asks this question. And I think it's important because later on when Lydia runs off with Wickham, <laughs> Lizzie says that she has not noticed any specific regard on Lydia's part towards Wickham. And I think we're seeing, again, from a reread, knowing this future information, you can see a little bit of this planting of Lizzie is willfully not seeing these things. So she thinks she's this great judge of people and notices everything. But we're seeing things she's missing. 
So, you know, with that first time when they're at the Phillips's party, Lydia is definitely gunning for Wickham's attention. And, you know, is spending a lot of time talking to him and keeps trying to, like, gain his attention until she gets distracted by the card game. Um, and then here, Lydia's the one asking for Wickham. And it's very made clear the chapter before when they were getting ready for the ball that both Lydia and Kitty were planning to dance with Wickham, it said, for half the ball. So they both are interested in him, and Lydia is showing this specific interest of asking where, where Wickham is. I mean, it's not a lot, and I don't necessarily think Lizzie is, you know, missing too much from these little interactions. It's just interesting to note that there are these hints that Lydia is interested in Wickham, that we might not have, that Lizzie is not picking up on, and I don't think of the reader picks up on the first time through either. But it is something to think about and notice. Um, and so this puts Lizzie in a really bad mood, which I think is important for the dance that's about to come up. Um, she is in a very bad mood about it, feeling displeasure, disappointment, and she could hardly reply with tolerable civility to the polite inqu inquiries which he directly afterward approached to make. So he, she just finds out that, Dar that Wickham is not at the ball and it's Darcy's fault. And then Darcy walks up immediately after and is like, hey, how are you? And she can barely talk to him. Um, and I think it's an interesting thing. Attention, forbearance, patience with Darcy was an injury to Wickham. So she's so mad at him about this Wickham situation that she doesn't want to have anything to do with him and she can barely be polite to him. Um... And she was resolved against any conversation with him and walks away quite right away. And she's even mad at Bingley because Bingley has a blind partiality for Darcy. So she's just mad at everyone and having a horrible time. Um, but then it says Elizabeth is not formed for ill humor. And though every prospect of her own was destroyed for the evening, it could not dwell, it could not dwell long on her spirits. And having told all her griefs to Charlotte Lucas, whom she had not seen for a week, she was soon able to make a voluntary transition to the oddities of her cousin and to point him out to her particular notice. Um, so she's pointing out her cousin and making fun of him to Charlotte, which is much more fun and bringing her back up to a better um, mindset. Although it gets worse again. It's a return of her distress, it says, because she now has to dance the first two dances with Mr. Collins. And he's a horrible dancer and keeps doing all things wrong and stepping on her toes and all of this. And it says the moment of her release from him was ecstasy. So she is super happy to not have to dance with him anymore. Um, then she gets to dance with an officer and she gets to talk about Wickham. So she's having a good time about that. And afterwards she goes back to Charlotte Lucas, who seems to be standing on the side and not dancing maybe. It's unclear. Charlotte could have danced and then they came back together again afterwards. But it doesn't say, it doesn't really say. Anyway. I'm imagining Charlotte not dancing and just kind of standing on the side here as a wallflower, but I could be wrong. So she's talking to Charlotte when Darcy comes up and he takes her by so much surprise in his application for her hand that without knowing what she did, she accepted him. So I imagine again, he's just walking up and like blurts out, will you dance with me? And she's like, was not expecting it. Couldn't think of a good excuse. Again, remember, you are not really allowed to say no when people ask you to dance. Um, unless you're not going to dance at all for the rest of the evening. So if she said no to Darcy, she can't dance anymore. So she probably just, like, was struck very quickly, couldn't think of an acceptable excuse, knows that, like, 
her options are very limited and that she has to say yes to him, really, or the ball's over. Or at least her dancing in it is over. So she agrees, and then he walks away again immediately, and she's fret left to fret over her own want of presence of mind. Charlotte tried to console her and says, I dare say you will find him very agreeable. And Lizzie's answer is pretty great. It says, Heaven forbid! That would be the greatest misfortune of all, to find a man find a man agreeable whom one is determined to hate. Do not wish me such an evil. Which I just think is hilarious. So it's clear Lizzie is liking the fact that she doesn't like Darcy. You know, she's enjoying her hatred of him. She wants to continue enjoying her hatred of him. Um, however, the dancing recommences. Darcy comes in. And Charlotte tells her not to be a simpleton and allow her fancy for Wickham to make her appear unpleasant in the eyes of a man of ten times his consequence. So we're also getting a little bit about Charlotte here where she is tell she's very practical and she's letting Lizzie know like you can't be rude to Darcy. He's the richest guy here. Um, he's ten times more important than Wickham because Wickham's poor. And so that's important to remember. And so she's very practical about the monetary things here. Um, which I think, you know, we'll find later with more of her, when more of her story comes, you'll get to know more about that and her practical nature. Whereas Lizzie is much more dramatic and talking about, you know, heaven forbid that would be the greatest misfortune and wanting to like dwell in the drama of her hatred for Darcy. So they start dancing, they're not talking at all, and Lizzie at first is just going to sit, you know, stand there, dance there in silence, um, because she doesn't want to talk to Darcy, and she doesn't want to be polite to him. But then she thinks it would be a greater punishment to her partner to oblige him to talk. So she thinks it would actually be worse for Darcy if she makes him talk, and so she decides to do that. So she said she's made some slight observation on the dance. He replied and was again silent. And then she says, it is your turn to say something now, Mr. Darcy. I talked about the dance and you ought to make some kind of remark on the size of the room or the number of couples. He smiled and assured her that whatever she wished him to say would be said. Very well. That reply will do for the present. Perhaps by and by I may observe that private balls are much pleasanter than public ones. But now we may be silent. And then he asks the question, do you talk by rule then when you are dancing? And she replies, but sometimes one must speak a little, you know. It would look odd to be entirely silent for half an hour together. And yet for the advantage of some conversation ought to be so arranged as that they may have the trouble of saying as little as possible. So I think that there's some different interpretations, at least in some of the adaptations, there seems to be interpretations in fanfic and things. I see that this this line gets used a lot, but it, the, the interpretation of what it means isn't um, what I think it actually means. So it seems like a lot of people are asking, seem to take this line to mean, do you always talk when you're dancing? Which would be a dumb thing to say at this time, because yes, everybody talks when they're dancing in this time period. That's kind of what the point of the dances are. And it's not the way it is in the adaptations where everybody's dancing the whole time. There's a lot of time where you're just kind of standing around waiting for the dance to kind of get to you because it goes down the line. They don't show that in the adaptations because it's not visually interesting. It's much more interesting to watch everybody dance. Um, but in reality, these dances are 15 minutes long. 
and you do two in a row so you do 30 minutes of dancing with this person and a lot of it is done of the so-called dancing you're just standing in line waiting for it to be your turn to dance so there's a lot of time where you're just standing there talking to each other it's not necessarily that you're talking while you're dancing it's you're talking while you're in line to dance and that kind of thing so anyway the idea that Darcy would ask like do you talk while you dance all the time do you always talk when you dance is just dumb right Darcy wouldn't ask that I think that what he's asking is is saying do you talk by rule then when you're dancing is that is do you always like have a script for what you're supposed to say while you dance um so do you talk by rule or like according to a rule that you're like yeah like a script do you have a script of what you say when you're dancing that kind of thing and that's kind of makes sense with, and that makes sense with what she answers too, where she says, do you talk by rule sometimes, you know, and it, you have to speak a little or otherwise it would look odd and converse and yet for the advantage of some conversation ought to be arranged so that it may have the, ugh, so that they may have the trouble of saying as little as possible. So again, so she's explaining that, you know, sometimes it's better because then you can arrange a conversation so it's not awkward and it doesn't look like you're having a fight, but you don't actually have to really talk to each other because you're just saying some scripted things. So by rule. I don't know. That's just one of my pet peeves. It seems to come up a lot in fan fiction. And I think it's in some of the adaptations too, where they're interpreting that line to me like, do you always talk when you dance? Which is just not what it's saying. And so that bothers me. It's just a pet peeve. Something that I've noticed over time that seems to come up a lot and I do not like. I do not approve. So I wanted to talk about that. But Lizzie has a great line as we go through after this, because Darcy asks her after saying that, um, are you consulting your own feelings in the present case, or do you imagine you are gratifying mine? Both, replied Elizabeth archly, for I have always seen a great similarity in the turn of our minds. We are each of an unsocial, taciturn disposition, unwilling to speak unless we expect to say something that will amaze the whole room and be handed down to posterity with all the eclat of a proverb. So here she is very much making fun of Darcy not talking enough, saying that we are, that oh, we're very similar, we're very unsocial and ta have taciturn dispositions, unwilling to speak, unless we have something very profound to say. And Darcy says, this is no very striking resemblance of your own character, I am sure. How near it may be to mine, I cannot pretend to say. You think it a faithful portrait, undoubtedly. And she just comes back with, well, I must not decide on my own performance, so she won't say. Because it would be rude. She's kind of, I think, she doesn't have anything that's not completely rude to say. Then they talk a little bit about going to Meryton, and she brings up Wickham. And Darcy says, Mr. Wickham is blessed with such happy manners as may ensure his making friends. Whether he may be equally capable of retaining them is less certain. Which is a very good representation of Wickham. Is when you first meet him, he's super charming, he's handsome, everybody loves him. And then you get to know him and you find out he's a liar and a cheat and all this stuff, which comes out eventually. Like, it's hard to hide that kind of stuff if your character is that bad. So, it's very interesting. And I think a very good representation of him. But Lizzie, of course, doesn't know any of that or believe any of that so she goes off with him saying well he was unlucky to lose so unlucky as to lose your friendship and in a manner which he is likely to suffer from all his life darcy made no answer and seemed desirous of changing the subject 
So Darcy doesn't want to talk about Wickham for obvious reasons, but he also, I think, doesn't want to go into all the details in a public ballroom. Obviously, a lot, most of the, some of the really bad stuff is not appropriate to talk about, and he doesn't want to talk about, like, Georgiana, the situation there, because he doesn't want anybody to know about it. That's a secret. He's not going to talk about it in a ballroom where everybody can hear him. Um, then Sir William Lucas shows up and talks about the dance, and then he he's the one who gives away the game and lets Darcy know that everybody expects Mr. Bingley and Jane to get married, which is the first time, according to Darcy, which he tells us later, that Darcy realized that there was that much connection between Jane and Bingley, that everybody was expecting Bingley to marry Jane. So Sir William is the one who gives him that information, and we get that here. Um, and that embarrasses Lizzie because she doesn't want to be talking to the, about that to Mr. Darcy. Um, but in any case, Darcy kind of shakes that off after Mr. William leaves and says that he can't, he's forgotten what they were talking about, which, by the way, was Wickham. But Lizzie doesn't remind him of that or has forgotten and just says, I don't think we were speaking of anything at all. Or I do not think we were speaking at all. Sir William could not have interrupted any two people in the room who had less to say for themselves. We have tried two or three subjects already without success. And what we are to talk of next, I cannot imagine. And he comes back with, what think you of books? He said, smiling. Books? Oh no, I am sure we never read the same, or not with the same feelings. Which is very telling. Lizzie thinks that they can't have the same opinion about anything because she hates him. And, but Darcy says, I'm very sorry, or I am sorry you think so. But if that be the case, there can at least be no want of subject. We may compare our different opinions. Which is, um, pretty good, actually. Like, he's pretty smooth with that, <laughs> with that little bit of conversation. But Lizzie's not, not having it. She says, no, I cannot talk of books in a ballroom. My head is always full of something else. So the present always occupies you in such scenes, does it? He said with a look of doubt. She's like, I... So he doesn't believe her there. He thinks that she's being untruthful, which I think she is. Because with anybody else, she'd be very happy to talk about books. If it was Wickham, she would love to talk about books with Wickham. But she just doesn't want to talk to Darcy. But she replies with yes always, without knowing what she said. So she just says, yeah, you know, huh? Without even thinking about it, without realizing what that says about her. Because she's kind of saying that she's an airhead. Who can't think about deep things, which is not true. And Darcy knows that's not true, which is why he's like, um, which is why he, um, has, says that with a look of doubt. Um, but Lizzie's not paying attention to him or that conversation, so she doesn't even know what she's saying because she's still thinking about Wickham. And she tells, and we see that because she comes back with, I remember hearing you once say, Mr. Darcy, that you hardly ever forgave, that your resentment once created was unappeasable. You are very cautious, I suppose, as to its being created. I am, he said, with a firm voice. And you never allow yourself to be blinded by prejudice. I hope not. It is particularly incumbent on those who never change their opinion to be secure of judging properly at first. May I ask to what these questions tend? Merely to the illustration of your character, said she, endeavouring to shake off her gravity. I am trying to make it out. And what is your success? She shook her head. I do not get on at all. I hear such different accounts of you as puzzle me exceedingly. 
So who are those different accounts that she's hearing, right? She's hearing from basically the Bingleys um, that he's great. And then she's hearing from Wickham that he's horrible. And then I guess the other townspeople just that he's rude and above everyone else. But the two accounts I think she's talking about here are Wickham versus the Bingleys. And the Bingleys think he's great. And Wickham says he's the worst. And so they puzzle her exceedingly. And Darcy, I think, understands that because he says, I can readily believe that reports may vary greatly with respect to me. And I could wish, Miss Bennet, that you were not to sketch my character at the present moment, as there is reason to fear that the performance would reflect no credit on either. Which I think is an interesting way to say that. It's very good, though, because he's saying it won't reflect well on either of us because, A, she's going to make a bad judgment on him, so he'll look bad in her judgment. But it makes her look bad because she's wrong, I think, you know, is what she, he's saying there. It won't give credit to either of us because it won't make him look good. It won't give him credit. But it doesn't make her, like, ability to read people look good either because she'll be so wrong. That's how I'm reading that anyway. And she says, but if I do not take your likeness now, I may never have another opportunity. And he replies with, I would by no means suspend any pleasure of yours. He coldly replied. She said no more, and they went down the other dance and parted in silence. On each side dissatisfied, though not to an equal degree, for in Darcy's breast there was a tolerable, powerful feeling toward her, which soon procured her pardon and directed all his anger against another. So he very quickly realizes that Elizabeth has been poisoned by Wickham against him, and so he sends his anger towards Wickham instead of towards Lizzie, because he still has a crush on Lizzie, he still loves her. He's not mad at Lizzie about this. All right, we still have pages to go. We're still at the ball for quite some time. Because we have now time for the rest of for um, the rest of Lizzie's family to embarrass her greatly, which should be fun. So, well, actually, before that, Miss Bingley comes up and tells her that Wickham is the son of old Wickham, the late Mr. Darcy's steward. Let me recommend you, however, as a friend, not to give implicit confidence to all his assertions. For as, mis as to Mr. Darcy's using him ill, it is perfectly false. For on the contrary, he has always he has been always remarkably kind to him. Lord George Wickham has treated Mr. Darcy in a most infamous manner. I do not know the particulars, but I know very well that Mr. Darcy is not in the least to blame. That he cannot bear to hear George Wickham mentioned, and that though my brother thought he could not well avoid including him in this invitation to the officers, he was excessively glad to find that he had taken himself out of the way. His coming into the country at all is a most insolent thing indeed, and I wonder how he could presume to do it. I pity you, Miss Eliza, for this discovery of your favorite's guilt, but really, considering his descent, one could not expect much better. All right, so here we are with Miss Bingley, and the thing is that we hate Miss Bingley. She's super rude, this very mean girl vibe. She's coming to laugh at Lizzie about all of this. Um, but she's not wrong, right? Like, here's the thing. Like, she's not a good source because Lizzie's obviously not going to believe her. And her material is all from Darcy, right? She's just taking what Darcy has told her. But she's, she's also not wrong. <laughs> so, unfortunately, though, it's coming from someone who Lizzie is never going to believe, who she hates pretty much as much as she hates Darcy, so it's just, it's not a good source for this information to be coming from. But Miss Bingley's correct. 
But again, it's also for the readers easily to overlook this because we also don't like Miss Bingley. So it's very easy for, even though she's correct and she's giving us good information, it's very easy to just wipe it away like, oh, stupid Miss Bingley. She doesn't know what she's talking about, which is basically what Elizabeth says. She just takes it as being classist, which it is because Miss Bingley is like the, the only thing she can really say is that he's the son of a steward, which would make him a lower class person, right? Because he's the son of a working man. Um, and Elizabeth comes back with just his guilt and his descent appear by your account to be the same. So again, she's just thinking that she's being super classist. Because you're saying he's guilty, but the only thing you're accusing him of is being the son of the late Dodgley Steward. Um, let me just For I have heard you accuse him of nothing worse than of being the son of Mr. Darcy Steward, and of that, I can assure you, he informed me himself. Which he did, that was part of his story. So... Miss Bingley has no information. She's just coming over. And even though she is correct, I don't know. I really don't understand what her intentions are other than to try and embarrass Lizzie. I, I really don't know. But she's correct. But Lizzie's obviously not going to believe a word she says. And after um, Lizzie re rejoined her, she just says, excuse my interference. It was kindly meant. And leaves. And Lizzie calls her an insolent girl in her head. And to herself also says, I see nothing in it but your own willful ignorance and the malice of Mr. Darcy. So, we get Miss Bingley's interference. And then she goes off to talk to Jane. And she's distracted by Jane and hope that Jane's being in the fairest way for happiness. Hoping that she's soon going to be engaged to Mr. Bingley. So she asks if Jane has been able to ask Mr. Bingley about Mr. Wickham, um, but kind of jokes with her that maybe you've been too pleasantly engaged to think of any third person, in which case you may be sure of my pardon. But Jane says, no, I, I haven't forgotten about it. I talked about it. Um, it's, but Mr. Bingley doesn't really know the story. He is quite ignorant of the circumstances which have principally offended Mr. Darcy. On purpose, Mr. Darcy doesn't want Bingley to know because he's hoping Bingley's going to marry his little sister, Georgie, Georgiana. I listened to a podcast where they call her Georgie and now that's in my head. But Georgiana, um, so they he wants Bingley to marry Georgiana, his little sister. And so he doesn't want Bingley or his family to know any of things that happened with Wickham and Georgiana, which is why Miss Bingley and Mr. Bingley, well, everybody, she doesn't want anyone to know, but he specifically doesn't want them to know. So, of course... They don't know the particulars of the situation. They can just, he's just saying that he will vouch for the good conduct, the probability and honor of his friend. So Bing, Mr. Bingley can basically say, I have no idea what's going on, but I trust Darcy and I trust that whatever he did, it was good. Um, and also that Mr. Wickham is by their account, by no means a respectable young man. I'm afraid he has been very imprudent and has deserved to lose Mr. Darcy's regard. And Lizzie just clarifies, but Mr. Bingley doesn't know Mr. Wicker himself. No, he never saw him till the morning after Merit, that morning at Meryton. And he says, and so she says, this account then is what he's received from Mr. Darcy. I am perfectly satisfied, but what does he say of the living? And he does not exactly reflect, recollect the circumstances, though he has heard them from Mr. Darcy more than once, but he believes that it was left to him conditionally only. And Lizzie basically comes back with, Okay, I believe that Mr. Bingley is telling the truth, 
but he's got his facts from Mr. Darcy, so I don't believe him. Basically, Mr. Bingley is dumb, and I don't believe him. He's too kind. He's a friend of Darcy's, so obviously he's going to just agree with or believe what Darcy says, and so I don't have anything to say about that. And so she ends with, I shall venture still to think of both gentlemen as I did before. So she has heard from both Mr. Bingley or Jane, who's relaying information from Mr. Bingley and from Miss Bingley, who I assume came over because she heard Jane talking to Mr. Bingley about this. That's where she would know that Lizzie was asking for information. Um, so she's heard that account, but she brushes all of that, both of those accounts away as just being friends of Darcy's and things that Darcy has said. And she doesn't agree with it. She'll think what she always did before, which is we still love Wickham and hate Darcy. So that's where she's out. And then Jane switches the topic to something more gratifying to each of them. Or Lizzie changes the topic with Jane. Um, to talk about Bingley and listens to... Um, listens to Jane being all happy and gushing about Mr. Bingley. And then when Mr. Bingley finally comes over to talk to Jane again, Elizabeth goes away to talk to Miss Lucas, to Charlotte. Um, and she had barely gotten to talk to him at all before Mr. Collins shows up. And then he is the first relative who is going to start embarrassing Lizzie. Because he decides, he lets them know that he has just found out that his patroness, Lady Catherine de Bourgh, her nephew is in attendance at the ball and it's very exciting and he's going to go introduce himself. And Lizzie tells him flat out, like, do not do this. He's going to think that you address addressing him without introduction as an impertinent freedom rather than a compliment to his aunt. So she is very clear on this is inappropriate. You cannot just go up and introduce yourself. And again, in this time period, I think it's hard for modern readers sometimes to notice this. You're not allowed to just go up and, like, introduce yourself to someone. That is not how this works. You have to be introduced by somebody else. Somebody who knows both of you has to introduce you to each other. That is the way this works. Um, you cannot do that. That is so not good manners in this society for him to do this. And Lizzie warns him of this, and he brushes her off. And honestly, I think this is the scene where we start seeing what a jerk Mr. Collins is. Because up until now, I, it's not like we love him or I don't love him. He, he just kind of seems, though, like he's unaware. Sort of a bumbling idiot kind of character. Like, not great, but not awful either. But here we start to see this, like, self-importance that he has and the, like, where he is trying to, like, mansplain is the best word I can have social interactions to Lizzie. And saying that this is outside the scope of her understanding. Because, you know, between the established forms of ceremony amongst the laity and those which regulate the clergy. So because he's clergy, he's special and he doesn't have to follow any of these rules. And he says, pardon me for neglecting to profit by your advice, which on every other subject shall be my constant guide. Though in the case before us, I consider myself more fitted by education and habitual study to decide on what is right than a young lady like yourself. Oh my god, that speech annoys the heck out of me. It's very much, oh, there, there. Like, I can see her pat him patting her on the head. I know he's not actually doing that. That would also be really weird and improper in a ballroom, but that's how I, 
she's a little kid that he's patting on her head like oh you're you're silly um, and does not take her advice at all while saying that he's going to take her advice in other matters but it's another reason to show why they would be such a bad match because Lizzie is not going to want to be married to a man who does not take her seriously and does not pay attention to the things that she says which obviously Collins here is showing that he does not pay attention to what Lizzie says and does not take her seriously and it's also kind of continuing his very um, strong way that he doesn't take women seriously except for Lady Catherine de Bourgh, um, who's the one exception to the way he treats all the other females, it seems like, in his life. Or maybe it's just the marriageable ones. I don't know. But he is very rude here to Lizzie. And the other instance we got was when he wanted to read Fordyce's sermons and was kind of rude about ladies needing that kind of moral, moral instruction or whatnot. But that I think you could kind of pass by as just the things that people normally said anyway, but he's still annoying with it. But this is the time where he's really showing that he does not have any respect for Lizzie and her thoughts and what she has to say. And again, she is very much 100% black and white in the correct here. She is in the right. She is, she is judging correctly that he is not supposed to go up and introduce himself to somebody especially somebody of such higher means and higher class than he is. And so he goes up and makes a fool of himself and Darcy basically turns away and doesn't like gives him the barest civility before walking away. And then Mr. Collins comes back and he says, I have no reason, I assure you, to be dissatisfied with my reception. Mr. Darcy seemed much pleased with the attention. He answered me with the utmost civility. And even paid me the compliment of saying that he was so well convinced of Lady Catherine's discernment as to be certain she could never bestow a favor unworthily. It was really very hands a very handsome thought. Upon the whole, I am much pleased with him. So again, he's showing how he doesn't understand social interaction because it was very clear to everyone else in the room that Darcy was rather rude to him and mad about the whole situation. But Mr. Collins did not get that impression. He doesn't understand that that's what just happened. It says, as Elizabeth had no longer interest of her, any interest of her own to pursue, she turned her attention almost entirely on her sister and Mr. Bingley, and to the train of agreeable reflections which her observations gave birth to, made her perhaps almost as happy as Jane. So the reason she's got nothing else to do is because Mr. Wickham's not there, right? So she's just watching Jane and thinking very happily about that. But then we find out that Mrs. Bennett's thoughts are also going that way. She's thinking about that, and she's not keeping it internal. She is saying it very loudly to Lady Lucas. Um, all the things about how great it would be when Jane would soon be married to Mr. Bingley, and she seemed incapable of fatigue while enumerating the advantages of the match. Of his being so charming young man and so rich and living but three miles from them were the first points of self-congratulation. And then it was such a comfort to think how fond the two sisters were of Jane and to be certain that they must desire the connection as much as she could do, which is not true. Um, it was moreover such a promising thing for her younger daughters as Jane's marrying so greatly must throw them in the way of other rich men. And lastly, it was so pleasant at her time of life to be able to consign her single daughters to the care of their sister that she might not be obliged to go into company more than she liked. And then there's a really nice little aside here. 
It was necessary to make this circumstance a matter of pleasure, because on such occasions it is the etiquette. But no one was less likely than Mrs. Bennet to find comfort in staying at home at any period of her life. <laughs> so she is even, like, willfully lying there, saying, well, the platitudes you're supposed to say, but really, she doesn't want to have to stay home. We know this. And rather rudely, she said, she concluded with many good wishes that Lady Lucas might soon be equally fortunate, though evidently and triumphantly believing there was no chance of it. And this is a running theme with Mrs. Bennet. She is, everybody thinks that Charlotte Lucas, Miss Lady Lucas's eldest daughter, is thoroughly on the shelf and may never get married and is going to be an old maid. And Mrs. Bennet loves to rub Lady Lucas's nose in it. Which is why in a couple chapters, when Charlotte does get engaged, Lady Lucas takes such pleasure in returning the favor. But in any case, part of why this is just so, so bad is that it's very clear that Mr. Darcy can hear this. And she is, Mrs. Bennet is making no attempt to be quiet about it. And when Lizzie tries to stop her, she says, What is Mr. Darcy to me, pray, that I should be afraid of him? I am sure we owe him no such particular civility as to be obliged to say nothing he may not like to hear. Um, and Lizzie says, For heaven's sake, madame, speak lower. What advantage can it be to you to offend Mr. Darcy? You will never recommend yourself to his friend by doing so. Which I think is interesting, because Lizzie is rude to Mr. Darcy all the time, but she does it in slightly more socially acceptable ways. <laughs> And in ways that are kind of in the gray area and not like as outright rude. Whereas Mrs. Bennet here is just being completely gauche in her like ramblings that are so loud that Mr. Darcy can hear. Says nothing that she could say, however, had any influence. Her mother would talk of her views in the same intelligible tone. Elizabeth blushed and blushed again with shame and vexation. And she keeps looking at Darcy. And it was very clear to her that Darcy's hearing all of this. And it says the expression of his face changed gradually from indignant contempt to a composed and steady gravity. Um, so Elizabeth is super embarrassed. This goes on forever and ever. At length, however, Mrs. Bennet had no more to say. And they switch and then... Lady Lucas, who had been long yawning at the repetition of delights, which she saw no likelihood of sharing, was left to the comforts of cold ham and chicken. So, Lizzie's happy that her mother finally shuts up. And then, of course, Mary joins the fray to be embarrassing. She um, very quickly decides to go and play. And it's very, it's very clear that it was you know, you're supposed to have to be kind of cajoled into playing. You're not supposed to be too, I guess, proud about wanting to play. So it's, it's pointed out that Mary goes up to play after very little entreaty. So, like, not enough. She's, like, going a little too fast. Um, in the adaptations, they make it even more obvious that she, like, jumps up without even really being asked. Um... But that's part of what's wrong here is that A, Mary did not do the socially acceptable thing of being like really specifically asked to play. And Lizzie tries to give her significant looks and silent entreaties to prevent her, prevent such a proof of complacence. Um, 
But in vain, Mary would not understand them. Such an opportunity of exhibiting was delightful to her, and she began her song. So here it is that it's very clear that Mary has kind of jumped the gun, has not waited for the normal, like, asking of, to play. In the adaptions, it's when the 95 adaption, Mr. Bingley is clearly about to ask his sister to play for them, and then Mary jumps up and plays instead. So it makes it very, very obviously and clearly rude in how she did it. I don't know, it's not that specific here, but it seems like she did something similar where she sort of jumped the gun and is going to go play whether anybody wants her to or not. And Lizzie's trying to look at her and like, what are you doing? And Mary's just completely ignoring her. It says she would not understand. So she sees it, but she doesn't want to understand it. And so she goes and she plays the song. And it says, Mary's powers were by no means fitted for such a display. Her voice was weak and her manner affected. Elizabeth was in agonies. She looked over to Jane and noticed Jane and Bingler are still just enraptured with each other and ignoring all of this. But the sisters were seeing this and making signs of derision at each other. And Darcy continued, however, impenetrably grave. So Lizzie is embarrassed to all get out and she sends, she looks at her father to try like save her and he took the hint and when Mary had finished her second song said aloud that will do extremely well child you have delighted us long enough let the other young ladies have time to exhibit. It says Mary though pretending not to hear was somewhat disconcerted and Elizabeth sorry for her and sorry for her father's speech was afraid her anxiety had done no good. Others of the party were now applied to. So the point there is that Mr. Bennett didn't do anything very socially nice by stopping her from playing. Um, he did it in such a way that was embarrassing as well. So it wasn't any better. And now Mary's feelings are hurt and her father's still embarrassed her. So she's still embarrassed. Lizzie is still embarrassed. Then Mr. Collins comes up and says that if he could sing, I would have great pleasure in obliging the company with an air because it's so great. And he goes on for like lines and lines about the job of a clergyman and how great it is that he's a clergyman and how important he is because he's a clergyman and blah, 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 blah. He talks about Mr. Darcy who he just met and like bows at him and is super, super embarrassing again. Um, it says, and with a bow to Mr. Darcy, he concluded his speech which had been spoken so loud as to be heard by half the room. Many stared. Many smiled, but no one looked more amused than Mr. Bennet himself. So Mr. Bennet just thinks it's hilarious that Mr. Collins is embarrassing. Lizzie, however, is just embarrassed. And his wife, so Mrs. Bennet, seriously commended Mr. Collins for having spoken so sensibly and observed in a half-whisper to Lady Lucas that he was a remarkably clever, good kind of young man. Which is because she thinks he's about to be her son-in-law. She will think very differently when he marries, does not marry her daughter. But it also just shows how ridiculous Mrs. Bennet is, that she is willing to say after that very embarrassing, rambling, stupid speech that was completely inappropriate, that he was a remarkably clever, good kind of young man prejudiced in his favor at this point so elizabeth after this says to elizabeth it appeared it appeared 
that her family made an agreement to expose themselves as much as they could during the evening. It would have been impossible for them to play their parts with more spirit or finer success. And happy did she think it for Bingley and her sister that some of the exhibition had, been, had escaped his notice, and that his feelings were not of the sort to be much distressed by the folly which he must have witnessed. That his two sisters and Mr. Darcy, however, should have such an opportunity of ridiculing her relations was bad enough. And she could not determine whether the silent contempt of the gentlemen or the insolent smiles of the ladies were more intolerable. And that's important. So it's clear that Mr. Bingley and Jane are so enraptured in each other, so just wrapped up in each other, that they are not really clocking all of these embarrassing things the Bennett's family is doing, and I'm including Mr. Collins in that because he's their cousin. But Mr. Darcy and the Bingley sisters, they have noticed. They are making fun, and the, the, the sisters are making fun, and Darcy's just staring like in horror. Um, but they've noticed, and that's important, and more important than we as the readers necessarily know, because that's a part of why they take Bingley off to London and get him away from Jane, is part of this embarrassment of her family, is a huge piece of it. So, Lizzie's noticing, the rest of her family really is not, but it is, it is important to know. So the rest of the evening brought little oral amusement. She was teased by Mr. Collins, who continued most per perseveringly by her side, and though he could not prevail on her to, with her to dance with him again, put it out of her power to dance with the others. So that's this whole thing. If you say no to somebody, you can't say no. You can't dance with anybody else. So now, Mr. Collins came up and asked her to dance again, um, and she really, really doesn't want to dance with Mr. Collins. But by saying no to him, she now can't dance with anybody else, which is really sad. But that's one of the rules, and that's why you have to say yes, because if you say no, now you can't dance at all anymore. And um, she tries to send him off to dance with somebody else because he's just sticking to her side and she's annoyed as all get out at him. But he assured her that as to dancing, he was perfectly indifferent to it that his chief object was by delicate attentions to recommend himself to her, and that he should therefore make a point of remaining close to her the whole evening. There was no arguing with such a project. So Elizabeth is just stuck with Mr. Collins all night, the rest of the evening. He's just stuck to her side, being annoying, and she can't really like do anything about it that wouldn't be really, really rude. And... He is also making it clear that he's going to marry her again, want to marry her, and Lizzie is obviously not in favor of this plan. Um, so she's stuck with Mr. Collins for the rest of the evening, which is why she's not having a good time. Um, and her greatest relief was her friend Miss Lucas, who often joined them and good-naturedly engaged Mr. Collins' conversation to herself. So Mr. Collins is talking to Miss Lucas, which is, again, important because, you know, when they get married later, we're seeing that they are actually spending a good amount of time together here. Miss Lucas actually is getting a good sense, I think, of who Mr. Collins is, which is part of why she's able to, you know, agree to marry him. It's not... She's not making an uninformed decision. This helps to show that she's spending... She's spending the evening with him and getting, I think, a good sense of what his character is, which is important. Um... 
so she said she was at least free from the offense of Mr. Darcy's further notice. Though often standing within a very short distance of her, quite disengaged, she never came near enough to speak. She felt it to be the probable consequence of her allusions to Mr. Wickham and rejoiced in it. Which I wonder if that's true. Um, I think he explains it later that he, um, A, is very busy watching Jane and Bingley to see whether um, they actually are like in love with each other. Which is when he decides that she's not in love with her. With um, that, she, Mr. Darcy decides that Jane is not in love with Bingley. Um, incorrectly is through his watching them at the ball here. It's because he's just become a, he's just become aware that they are expected to get married. Um, so it might not be that. It also could just be that Mr. Collins is right there and he doesn't want to talk to Mr. Collins again. Which is also a fair enough reason not to come near Lizzie at the moment. Either way, finally, the ball is over. And the Longbourn party were the last of all the company to depart. And by a maneuver of Mrs. Bennet had to wait for their carriages a quarter of an hour after everybody else was gone. Which gave them time to see how heartily they were wished away by some of the family. So that, again, Mrs. Bennet being super embarrassing to make sure that their carriage was a good 15 minutes late to pick them up and they're just sitting there waiting for their carriage when everyone else is gone from the party. And everybody's tired and everybody's grumpy. The only people having a good time are Mrs. Bennet, Jane, and Mr. Bingley. Everybody else is tired and grumpy, it seems like. Uh, Mr. Collins is still making long speeches complimenting Mr. Bingley and his sisters on the elegance of their entertainment and the hospitality and politeness which had marked their behavior to their guests. Ugh. Mr. Bennet, I guess, is also enjoying himself, because it's embarrassing, so it's funny to him. Um, and then Jane and Bingley are in their own little world, and the Bingley sisters are just complaining about how tired they are, and even Lydia was too much fatigued to utter more than the occasional exclamation of, Lord, how tired I am, and accompanied by a violent yawn. Which just goes to show that Lydia is, again, not really following social decorum. Because she shouldn't be acting like that in public. But, you know. But eventually they get to leave. They go back to Longbourn. And this is where Mrs. Bennet specifically asks Mr. Bingley to come to dinner anytime without ceremony of a formal invitation. And Bingley was all grateful pleasure and readily engaged for taking the earliest opportunity of waiting on her. After his return from London, whither he was obliged to go the next day for a short time. But of course it turns out not to be a short time because he goes away until like the next year. So he doesn't come back for a very, very long time. But that comes up in that Mrs. Bennet will talk about that again. But this just again shows how kind of declassé the whole family is in this situation where they're like very much overstaying their welcome and being just kind of not proper throughout this whole evening and embarrassing them. And then the last chapter or the last paragraph of this chapter I think is great. I'm just going to read it to you. Mrs. Bennet was perfectly satisfied and quitted the house under the delightful persuasion that, allowing for the necessary preparations of settlements, new carriages, and wedding clothes, she should undoubtedly see her daughter settled at Netherfield in the course of three or four months. 
of having another daughter married to Mr. Collins, she thought with equal certainty, and with considerable, though not equal, pleasure. Elizabeth was the least dear to her of all her children, and though the man and the match were quite good enough for her, the worth of each was eclipsed by Mr. Bingley and Netherfield. And that just sums things up for us. So Mrs. Bennet is just giving us a picture of where we're at here. She is very clear, Mrs. Bennet, that, you know, Jane's going to marry Bingley and then Lizzie's going to marry Mr. Collins and it's all going to be great. And she's obviously much more excited about the Bingley-Jane marriage than the Lizzie-Collins marriage. Um, but because Lizzie's not her favorite and it's good enough for her, but Jane's obviously better which is super rude and again just shows that Mrs. Bennet doesn't understand Lizzie at all because she's thinking of it with equal certainty. If she knew her daughter at all, she would know that her daughter was not planning to marry Mr. Collins. Um, which we will find out very soon. So she's showing her sort of ineptitude in, in that she doesn't understand that that's not going to happen, that Lizzie was never going to agree to that. Um, it just really shows that she doesn't know Lizzie at all. And that's part of because Lizzie's not her favorite. Lizzie's Mr. Bennett's favorite. And she doesn't understand Mr. Bennett at all either. And so I think those two things kind of go hand in hand. And that is the Netherfield Ball. A very crucial part of the book. A lot of important things happen. It's why, you know, Mr. Darcy takes Mr. Bingley away and all of that. Very important stuff. Thank mm -hmm. you.